everyone and welcome to Next Generation Saints. I'm your host, Nick Coons. Have you ever had a question about who gets to go to heaven? I know that's a big question that's usually on most people's minds. Who gets in the front door of heaven? Who doesn't? Who gets through the gates? Well, in this episode, Cliff Connectly is going to go ahead and talk exactly about that. Now, before I get started on this podcast, I want to go ahead and encourage anyone, if you're new here please like and subscribe to this podcast next generation saints wherever you may be hearing this podcast from um if you're returning to this podcast i want to say welcome back and i hope this truly blesses you so without further ado who gets into heaven with cliff Connectly. so if there's a person who isn't doesn't is not a christian yes they're a good person yep can they still get into heaven Good question. What about a person like all of my atheist friends who are good people? All of my atheist friends are altruists. They're wonderful people. Are they going to get to heaven? Well, first point, am I going to get to heaven because I try to live a good life? No, because although I try and live a good life, I blow it. I have bad habits. I sin. I do wrong on a regular basis. The reason I'm not bummed out by that too much is the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7 writes, the good I want to do, I don't do. The evil I don't want to do, I do. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. I'm depending on the grace of God. So I'm not going to heaven because I try to be a good husband, a good father, a good minister a good citizen. I'm going to heaven for one reason, because God loves this sinner so much that he sent his son Christ to bleed and die on a cross for my sin. And I've asked Christ to forgive me, I've put my faith in him, and he's given me something he does not owe me, he's given me something I have not earned or I do not deserve. He's given me forgiveness and the gift of eternal life. Now, out of gratitude to him, I want to obey him. Out of love for him, I want to obey him because I trust him. I seek to obey him, not as a way to earn heaven, but as a way to express genuine faith, deep love, and an understanding of truth. You refer to the Apocrypha being taken out of the Bible. Yes. Sir, the Apocrypha was not in the Bible until the 1500s, when in response to the Protestant Reformation, the Catholic Church at the Council of Trent in the early 1500s added the Apocrypha, the intertestamental series of books, including First and Second Maccabees and Judith, to the Bible, and today the Catholic Church accepts the Apocrypha and the Protestant Church does not. So, the Apocrypha was never pulled out of the original. The original did not include the Apocrypha. Why? Because the Apocrypha wasn't introduced into the Bible until the Council of Trent in the early 1500s. So, sir, why are you so tricky in, the, in giving me false information out here. So it's changed twice is what you're saying. No. And if we go back further, we can go back to the 
Mar Marconian or Marcinian Bible, which didn't have any of the Old Testament, who only had one gospel. We can also go to the Constantinople Bible, which had different passages in it as well. I see a, a document that's changing with the times. Well, of Maybe course! You have people today saying the Bible says that the Republican Party is God's party. That doesn't mean the Bible says that. And yes, Marcion had a real problem with anti-Semitic feelings, and therefore Marcion, who you're referring to, cut out all of writings by Jews, therefore he only accepted the Gospel of Luke, because Luke was a Gentile. But it wasn't Gospel of Luke, it was similar to the Gospel of Luke. No, it was the Gospel of Luke that he accepted because it was written by a Gentile. So yes, sir, you also had the Gnostic Gospels in the 2nd and 3rd and 4th century AD. And the reason that the Universal Church rejected the Gnostic Gospels is because they were based on Gnostic philosophy. But I can promise you, sir, the 27 New Testament books haven't been tampered with. They were put together over a period of time. The Shepherd of Hermas was seriously considered to be, maybe we should include it. You know how the Gospel of Mark has changed over time? Yeah, I know that the Gospel of Mark has not changed over time other than what's already in the footnotes. Like at the end of the Gospel of Mark, Mark 16, it's clearly noted this end of Mark 16 is not in the earliest Greek manuscripts. Right. Instead, it was added at a later date. That is right there in the footnotes in the NIV in the Revised Standard Version. You know so there's no hanky-panky, there's no cover-up. Guess what? You take the end of Mark, 6, Mark 16 out of the New Testament, you have nothing changed. You still have Christ crucified and Christ risen from the dead. You have an empty grave is all you have. Because it ends at the empty grave and the women running off and telling no one. And then that's where Mark ended. Fine. But that didn't jive with the other three. I had jives totally. You cannot make an argument from silence. Mark is silent. And if Mark is silent, you better not be so intellectually dishonest that you would add if I say something, and you say, Cliff says, you quote me, and then you add to what I say, that's dishonest. The addition was dishonest to Mark. No, you don't know that. I, you don't know it wasn't. That's right. That's why there's the footnote. Watch out, because we don't know exactly how reliable the end of Mark 16 is. The same is true with John chapter 8, the woman caught in the act of adultery. Once again, in the manuscripts, you will read, John chapter 8 verses 1 through 11 was not in the earliest Greek manuscripts. Nothing hidden. The question is, why was it introduced? Was it a true story of Christ interacting with this woman caught in the act of adultery? Or was it not? We don't know. It was also and that's why you wouldn't want to base your life on John 8. And also in earlier writings, that same passage would be attributed to different testaments or uh, different uh, gospels. No. John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, was not attributed to Matthew, Mark, or Luke. It was clearly attributed to John, and it was clearly added at a later date. So that is why, right in the footnotes, there's a note, John chapter 8 is not in the earliest Greek manuscripts. Sir, the manuscript evidence for the New Testament is superior to any document from antiquity. Any document. All right, give me one. Give me one example of, of a good alternative. Sir, the Bible is a plagiarism of much more ancient texts. Like which ones? Writing. Which ones? We we can go back so many years. Give me a break. The Vedas, for one. That was How are the Gospels based on the Vedas? On universal truth. Universal truth is the universal truth. It cannot be changed. 
What is the universal truth in the Vedas that the Gospels record? Be true to yourself, to be good to others, to do good work. Where does Jesus say, be true to yourself? Doesn't it say, love thy neighbor as thyself? It says, it says, love your neighbor as yourself. It doesn't say, be true to yourself. No, it says, be true to love yourself. We have to begin by loving ourselves so we can love other people. All right, so there are ethical similarities. But to try and argue that the Gospels are simply are, are, are simply stealing or borrowing from the Vedas and Upanishads, that's not true. It is a completely disjointed book that was put together by human beings who didn't like some of the other versions that should have, would have been included in what we have today. Like which one? completely disjointed. Which one do you refer to? The items found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Those are all not items that should have been... In, those are items that should have been included in the Bible. The Bible needs they were. to be revised. In the Dead Sea Scrolls, we have Isaiah. Isaiah was in the Bible. So what's your point? Okay. There were many other <laughs> books that have been found that have not oh, been included in the Bible. That would yeah. have caused the, the Bible Gospels? to be, make more sense instead of being so disjointed. It makes absolutely no sense. You have the story of Cain and Abel, which is a far uh, more ancient story than the Bible. I don't it's in the Bible. It's not more ancient than the Bible. It's in the Bible. Yeah. It's, 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 it's not names for ancient. Those names are not ancient, but certainly the, by another name, they are more ancient. These okay, where do you read about Cain and Abel? What other book other than Genesis do you read about Cain and Abel? All right, yes, sir. What's your question? Well, the Nicene Creed. Like later on, after when uh, people realized they were really confused about is Jesus God or is he the Son of God? Right. And so later on in time, yes. they had to create the Nicene Creed to make people know he's not the Son of God, he's actually God. So, like, explain that to me, if you like the whole thing. It was really Great confusing. question. Serious question, thoughtfully put forward. Thank you, sir. You're right. There was confusion and debate among people who call themselves Christians in the 2nd century, 3rd century, 4th century, in the 21st century. You will get religion professors, I debate them on college campuses, who think Jesus is not God. Great teacher, but not God. So, why have I concluded, why has the Orthodox Christian Church concluded that Jesus is really God in human form? Because in the eyewitness Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, either written by an eyewitness or by someone who knew an eyewitness, like Luke. Luke was not an eyewitness, but Luke knew the apostles. But in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the humanity of Christ is clearly taught. He was born of a woman, Mary. He had human emotions, joy, sorrow. He was tempted. He experienced pain. He experienced death. He experienced betrayal. Judas Iscariot betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. He was human. But then, this human man, Jesus of Nazareth, has the audacity to claim to be the one true God. He repeated the Shema of Israel. In Mark chapter 12, verses 29 to 31, Jesus says, the most important commandment is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus stuck to Jewish monotheism, one God. But then he claimed to be God, God the Son. And that's why he was nailed to a cross, for blasphemy. Because he had the audacity, as a Jewish man who held to the Old Testament Torah, he claimed to be God. That's why he was nailed. That's blasphemy. 
punishable by death. So, followers of Christ have struggled to think through and communicate what does it mean, the incarnation, that God became a human being. Very difficult concept. He was truly a human being, but he was more than a human being. He was God in human form. That's hard, very hard. Kevin, many other people made the same claim. Again, let's go back to ancient Egypt. All Pharaoh believed himself, and so did the people believe that they were demigods. Ready? Sure. All right, so who claims to be God? You say Pharaoh. Fine. What is the evidence? I said they claim to be God. They claim to be God. So all you have to do is study the pharaohs, and you will have more than enough evidence that they were very fickle, finite human beings the same way you and I are. But when you read about Jesus, the way he lived, taught, died, and rose from the dead historically, not mythologically, not in legend, but when you study the way Christ historically rose from the dead, suddenly you're in touch with someone who is qualitatively different from a king who says, I'm God, a pharaoh who says, I'm God, suddenly you're confronted by a man who lives this amazing life, teaches incredible ethical teachings, dies on a cross, and rises from the dead. No, ma'am, there is no other historical resurrection other than Christ, of anybody who claims to be God. Who else rose from the dead? Muhammad? No, Muhammad did not rise from the dead. There is a belief that Muhammad ascended to heaven after his death. That is not an historical resurrection. In space and time, the Gospels are claiming the dead Christ was buried three days. At the end of three days, he rose from the dead. That is the claim. When I put my faith in Christ, what that means is, I trust you, Jesus. I trust you as God. I trust you as the one who gave me life. I trust you as the one who defines justice and injustice, right and wrong. Which means, even though my culture might teach me to be racist, I'm going to violate my culture, I'm going to follow Christ and not be racist. Classic example, two white women, Sarah and Angelina Grimke, grew up in a plantation in South Carolina. Obviously, the culture of South Carolina taught them slavery is very good because it's what makes the economic wheels go round and round. But Sarah and Angelina Grimke followed their conscience, Jesus Christ, their faith in him, they left that plantation, they went north and joined the abolitionist movement. That is an example of free will, used in a responsible way, where you understand morality is not relative, my culture doesn't define right and wrong, there's a law above the law of the great state of Alabama, as Dr. Martin Luther King pointed out so accurately, which means I am, as a thinking human being, going to respond to my conscience, not my culture. Does that make sense? Yes, I completely understand what you're trying to say. But here's the unfortunate fact of history, whereas people who went in South Carolina or was right? like, yeah, South yes, Carolina, sir. their culture was the Bible. Their Bible yes. like, it was a part of their culture. Yes. And those two, those two things you spoke about, they used their free will and their understanding of the Bible to move away. But here's the thing, that's there was a group of people that believed that the Bible was telling them slavery was okay, but then those ladies interpreted it in a different way to believe. So yep. is that? And that's one of the fallacies I find in the Bible. You can interpret it. You can interpret it so differently. That's why there's so many denominations. In Good, itself. excellent. 
You're absolutely right. But sir, just because I can misinterpret you, does that mean there's not an accurate interpretation of what you've said? For instance, if I go over to my wife and point to you and say, you know, this guy was very disrespectful of me, that's a wrong interpretation. Because in reality, sir, you've been incredibly respectful of me. Now, if I misinterpret you and go over to my wife and say, oh, this guy, man, he just dumped on me, I am wrong. That's an inaccurate interpretation. Right? Yes. Okay. But you use that interpretation to tell your wife and yes. your wife is going to tell other people. It's going to like that interpretation yes, is going to spread. That's right. That's how that, that was the basis. You bet. Okay. But you see, wait a second. But, well, wait a second. Wait a second. There is a right answer. You have been respectful of me. It is a lie for me to say that you've been disrespectful of me. It is the truth to say you've been incredibly respectful of me, and I thank you for it. Now, there's been some other turkeys have gone through here the past four days who've been quite disrespectful of me, all right? But not you. So you see, the, the, you've got to learn to interpret right. You are responsible to interpret correctly. I'm using that example, wouldn't it be hard to like say that person that thought he was disrespectful, even though he was, but would make that person not able to tell many more people rather than the right person who thought he was like that. Like that other person could have been the one that spread it. You don't know. Yep. That's that, right. That was my point. That's that. That's the whole idea of the different denominations in Christianity. So. We, there, there has to be one, according to your logic, there has to be one right, but which one is the right one? No, 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 no. Wait a second. There doesn't have to be just one right, but if two things contradict each other, they're either both wrong or one of them's right. You can't have two contradictory ideas both being right. Okay? So, the KKK, Dr. Martin Luther King. They, they cannot both be right. All right? So then the question is, is Dr. Martin Luther King right? Is the KKK wrong when it comes to the issue of African Americans? Now, the fact that the KKK tries to use the Bible, the fact that Dr. Martin Luther King obviously used the Bible, helps us. Because now we can go to the Bible to find out who's being consistent with what the Bible teaches. And you don't have to have a PhD in New Testament to read the Gospels about Jesus and figure out Man, the KKK twisted the living daylights, misinterpreted totally the Gospels. And Dr. Martin Luther King, with his peaceful resistance against racism, wow, he hit it out of the ballpark. That's why we respect him as highly as we do. Using the same example, when, since there are technically you telling everyone's interpretation of what he was saying or how he is, would be different denominations in theory. Like if we're using this example, that would be different denominations. How do you know which denomination was right? If one that you have to understand that the person that's right has right. to be able to influence everyone else that this is right. Right. But how do you know that the people that interpreted them wrong had way more influence than that person and is able to? You bet. I guess, spread. Okay. Now, based on what I've said. You guys know the answer, right? It's a great question you ask. Yes, sir. But based on what I've said, how do you determine whether a church, whatever the church is, exactly, the Gospels. If a church says, we're following Jesus, and you go into that church with those people, and they begin to contradict Christ, 
You don't have to have a PhD in the New Testament to figure out, time out, if Jesus says the opposite of what you're saying, you have parted company with Christ. Would that be equivalent of the say that person that was wrong and able to spread this influence, that person has a book that has historical fact of people that were at that time in that space, but he uses his interpretation that he was an evil person, even though he's not, right. but he uses this book now to teach everyone else this, and this is the right thing. Sure. And now you're using that, say you are a person that follows the wrong person, but you're using his book to back up your evidence. Okay. It's very similar to science, okay? Science is a beautiful study, branch of knowledge. I have a younger brother who transplants kidneys and livers. He's trying to help the body not reject the new kidney with scientific research. Okay? How did Adolf Hitler use eugenics to create the super race of white Aryans? Is that sick or is that sick? Fun fact, it actually started in California in the, 19, in the 1920s and then Adolf Hitler got that idea from America to do eugenics. Okay, so be it California, be it Nazi Germany, all right? That's a fun fact. All right, another, another historical fact. After World War I, H.G. Wells wrote a book in which he says, Knowledge, science, have defeated evil. It's over. World War I was the war to end all wars. Then World War II came along, and H.G. Wells had the honesty to write, My faith in science is bankrupt. I have watched the most highly scientific, technologically educated nation of the world, Nazi Germany, commit the most horrible atrocities imaginable. Dachau, Auschwitz, Buchenwald. Now, does Nazi Germany discredit science? No. Nazi Germany's use of science in eugenics and in gassing Jews is an example of free will using something good, science, to rip life apart. I don't reject science because Nazis used eugenics to wipe out Jews. Similarly, just because people pervert the Bible and use the Bible to justify rape, polygamy, racism, slavery, does not mean I reject the Bible. It means I reject their misinterpretation and their false use of the Bible. Why is making and keeping promises so important? Because your identity, a big part of it, is all wrapped up in your promises, your commitments. And because community, be it family, team, work group, is built on trust, which is built on making promises. Many people say, oh, I lied to that person, I got away with it. No, you don't get away with lying. Because when you and I lie, we destroy our identity. We become fragmented people. And when we lie, we also destroy relationships. We destroy community. The Apostle Peter was told by Christ, warned by him, watch out Peter, you're going to be tempted to deny me, and you're going to deny me three times. Peter said, no way, I will never deny you. But when Christ was arrested, he was taken to the home of the high priest Annas and Caiaphas. And Peter followed at a distance, and he stood outside the home, warming himself at a fire, 
and a young woman came up and said, Hey, I recognize you. You're one of Christ's followers, aren't you? And Peter said, Jesus Christ? Who is he? I don't know him. That happened three times. The cock crowed. Jesus came out of the home of Annas and Caiaphas, looked at Peter, and Peter broke down and wept and ran out into the night. When Peter denied knowing Christ, he lied. And when he lied, he began to break his soul, his person, his identity apart. But Jesus Christ forgave Peter, and he began to help Peter put those fragmented pieces back together again. When Peter lied about Christ, about knowing Christ, he fractured his relationship with Christ. Lying destroys relationships. Why? If I lie to you, are you going to trust me? Only if you're blindly gullible. If you lie to me, I am not going to trust you. The way to build a relationship is not easy. It's fragile. It's based on trust. Trust is all about, can I believe you? Can I trust you to keep your word, to keep your promise? The challenge is that you and I live in a culture that says, freedom, freedom. Now, I as an American and I as a follower of Christ appreciate freedom, but we have totally twisted and misdefined freedom in our culture. In our culture, freedom means total autonomy, doing whatever you want, whenever you want to do it. That is false. If I do whatever I want to do, whenever I want to do it, I'm going to step on a lot of people. And that is disrespectful. It blows relationships apart. It blows marriages and families sky high, obliterating them. Instead, freedom is understanding the purpose for which God made me and living out that purpose. And God made me, according to Christ, to love him with my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love my neighbor as myself. You and I long for security. Too many of us think that security is having a lot of money. No, that's not real security. Real security is understanding God has made promises to you. Jesus Christ is trustworthy. You can trust him. You can believe in him. You can build your life on him. You can be rooted and grounded in him. And then you want to become a promise maker and a promise keeper, someone who has integrity, someone who is not fragmented, torn apart by your feelings. Too many people today say, I am my feelings. No, you're not your feelings, fortunately. I am not my feelings. My feelings contradict each other on a regular basis. So do yours. Our feelings can tear us apart. You are far more your promises, your commitments, than you are your feelings. Make a promise to Christ. Trust in Him. Put your faith in Him. And He promises to give you eternal life. Learn to be a person of integrity who makes and keeps your promises. That way, people will trust you because the evidence is you are trustworthy. Promises build a secure identity in you and in me. Promises build a secure and strong family, a secure and strong community. Peter denied knowing Christ three times. He repented. And the amazing message of the gospel is that God is a God of grace who forgives liars like me. Have you asked Christ to forgive you for your sin? Have you put your faith in him? He promises if you do, 
He will give you life with God today and for eternity in heaven. God bless you as you make that most important decision to base your life on the good character of God who makes and keeps His promises. I'm the pastor of Grace Community Church. We meet every Sunday morning at 9.30 at 365 Lukeswood Road in New Canaan, Connecticut at Grace Farms. I would love to invite you to join us this Sunday, 9.30 at Grace Farms, located at 365 Lukeswood Road in New Canaan, Connecticut. Thanks for joining us for these few minutes. Have a great day. back to Next Generation Saints. I really do hope that you've enjoyed this program. I hope you enjoyed uh, listening to Cliff and that his message was a blessing to you and helped answer some questions. And if it uh, raised more questions, then that's the entire point as well, to, add, to keep searching and to strengthen our faith as we continue on through the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, if you are new to this channel, please, I ask you that if you can, go ahead and like, subscribe to this channel, Next Generation Saints, wherever you may be listening to this on podcast. I'm mostly on Spotify, but I'm also on other podcast platforms. Um, so until next time, we meet again. May God richly bless you all, my dearly beloved.